Welcome back to another special edition of the McGregor Podcast. Recently, on a Wednesday night, as part of our Journey Together ministry, we hosted a hot topic night with Pastor Russell Howard leading. The topic, critical race theory and intersectionality. The title of Pastor Russell's teaching that night was A Culture Derailed, a biblical look at critical race theory and intersectionality. We've divided this teaching into two sections. So if you haven't listened to part one of A Culture Derailed, I would highly encourage you to go back, listen to part one first, then come back to part two. But if you've already listened to part one, join me now as we listen together to part two of A Culture Derailed. Let's talk about the one, the one and only acceptable response if one finds oneself in the clutches of whiteness. Remember, that means essentially that you think biblically, specifically that you think authority is to be respected, the nuclear family matters, that, that work matters, that disciplined use of time matters, that data matter. If you find yourself in the grip of whiteness, but you, you being a generally nice person, how, how are you to respond? What is the appropriate response to your lack of intersectionality? It is anti-racism. Now let me be clear. God despises racism. If you have a biblical view of humanity, we are all only a few thousand years descended from the eight human beings that got off the ark. We are cousins, and closely so. And Jesus Christ has obliterated the big dividing wall between man and God by his death on the cross. And he has also opened the way for you and I to do very well as brothers and sisters without regard to melanin levels. And as we celebrate the creativity of the living God who came up with both blue whales and hummingbirds, we ought to be able to celebrate the creativity of the living God that did all kinds of fun things with skin tone. Eye shape, height, and a bunch of other characteristics we ought to be celebrating, not dividing ourselves up over. We are to be against racism. But anti-racism is a term within the CRT social justice movement that does not mean that you are against racism. Who oh, no. In the world of critical race theory, social justice, 
Anti-racism is not that you oppose racism, it's that you oppose hegemony. And you are, um, to be an anti-racist, it is the only possible remedy for whiteness. Anti-racism is the endless crusade to engage in a multitude of, of compensatory behaviors to make right any inequity connected to the hegemony. You've, we'll, we'll get to a definition for equity in a moment. But anything that is perceived to be out of balance because of the hegemony, you've got to actively engage in tearing down hegemonous structures, particularly hegemonous authority structures as defined by the movement. It's why defund the police became such a buzz phrase because of the perceived, not statistically provable, whiteness of law enforcement. An anti-racist response to that is rip it apart, tear it down. If you are within the hegemony, you must humbly accept the judgment of guilt that is baked into the fact that you're in the hegemony and you must work to reject whiteness as vigorously as you can. This crusade has no end because it cannot end until full equity, another term that is hijacked within this movement to mean something bizarre. The, the quest of the anti-racist cannot end until equity is achieved. Well, what is equity? What is equity? This is, by the way, where the radical difference between the CRT social justice movement and the civil rights movement is most easy to see. Under critical race theory, equity is the utopian state, internally defined utopian state, that can only be achieved when all perceived privilege has been stripped away from the hegemony and redistributed to those with the highest levels of intersectionality. The further from the hegemony I am, the more I am owed compensatory behavior until I say I am equal, I am in equity with the hegemony. This goal is fundamentally and directly contrary to biblical justice. They love to quote, let justice come down like water from Amos, but what they're, what they're advocating is not justice because it assigns culpability in terms of group. It assigns intergenerational guilt. We'll talk about that more in a bit. It fails to account for the living God's role in the movement of nations in history.
its goal is stated to be social justice. But it is anything but. It is thus remarkably similar to Marxism, where economic capacity has to be broken down and redistributed to those who have less of it, perceived or real. Equity, <laughs> the civil rights movement was about equality. If you're going to let a white man make this much money in this job, you ought to let a non-white man who could do the same job just as well make just as much money. That's equality. That was the noble goal of the civil rights movement. Maybe, just maybe, we could eat the same dining rooms. Maybe, just maybe, we can use the same restrooms and the same water fountains. Maybe, just maybe, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal should be something we act like we believe. That was the goal of the civil rights movement. And Christians ought to have been right in there with that movement. A lot of people don't know this. This is a fun fact for the night. For those of you who are, who are um, fond of rock-solid Bible teaching. Do you know that John MacArthur went to jail with a bunch of civil rights leaders in the American South in the, in the 60s? Yes, that John MacArthur did jail time for marching with civil rights leaders. How about that? The word of God was on the right side of the civil rights movement. It strove for equality. Equality says, if, my, if I get a stool this height, you should too. If this is the height stool we're getting, this is the height stool. You should not get a lesser stool because of your characteristics. CRT says... We should all get stools of varying heights to make sure that once we're seated, we're all the same height. You can't have equal, you can't have equality. Equality might mean a person who's three foot six is only this tall sitting on a stool like mine. A person who's eight foot two might be this tall. You can't have equality. You have to have equity. There are various state universities right now. This will give you a laugh if you remember the civil rights movement. There are various state universities around the United States right now that are creating special housing for non-white students. Anybody remember separate but equal? And now the social justice movement is insisting on it. Precisely opposite the equal, uh, the equal rights movement, the um, movement of the civil rights movement of the 60s and 50s, 60s, and early 70s. Equity. It is cultural Marxism. It is redistributionalism. And I'll say more about this later. What it says about people who are outside of whiteness people who are not hegemonic, at least perceived not to be, what it says about, about those people is they cannot hope to achieve. Which is extraordinarily insulting and utterly racist. A couple more terms. One of my personal favorite terms out of the movement is white fragility. 
White fragility. This term was popularized by a, an author by the name of, a lady by the name of Robin D'Angelo, who wrote a book by that title. White fragility. I've read the book. I was offered it on too many occasions. The term is a slur. It's an insult. It is applied to people who are perceived to be in the hegemony. My goodness, you look like you're hegemonist to me. You are in the hegemony, but you fail to participate in anti-racism. You fail to participate in discussions about the merits of CRT. Or worse, reject the whole thing as the pagan Marxist load of baloney that it is. If you do that, that is your white fragility talking. You're so fragile in your whiteness, you're afraid to enter into a discussion about critical race theory. No, 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 not many theoretical discussions that I reckon I'm afraid of. You could probably list 20 adjectives describing me if you know me, and I imagine fragile wouldn't turn up. But again, it's a self-proving feedback loop. If you say, I know I will not discuss that with you because my discussions about race and racism are founded in things like laws in this country that defend people of different ethnicities from being treated unequally. My discussion is about statistics that prove generally people in this country are, are we're the least racist country on the face of the earth with a ethnically pluralistic population. And I have statistics and data that prove that. So no, I will not discuss with you the merits of CRT. That is your white fragility talking. And see, I can be, I can be insulted and dismissed and set aside. That is white fragility. Oh, but people who have darker skin than mine are not exempt. If you are a person with darker skin than mine, and you also reject the anti-biblical baloney of critical race theory as Christians should, you are said to be broken. That is called brokenness. And their lovely way to paint you is they say you have a black face, but you do not have a black voice. No racism there. Hmm. So a broken person is someone who has darker skin or other non-hegemonic characteristics, but who doesn't buy the baloney. I had a, I had a, a, a dark-skinned friend email me, or actually he, he, uh, he hit me up on Facebook just this afternoon saying he is so tired of being told by people who look like him <laughs> that he should be angry at everyone who doesn't. He's a believer. And his response tonight was, or his encouragement to me tonight was, go get it. It's a demonic idea. And I'm grateful for his encouragement. There's another term, another sort of self-feeding feedback loop term. This term was, was quoted by, or uh, was coined, as far as I know, by 
Vody Bauckham. And by the way, I want to recommend a book to you. I'm going to recommend one more. Um, Vody, V-O-D-D-I-E, pronounced Vody with a long O, Bauckham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M. The term, the book is called Fault Lines. Now, his particular emphasis in this book is, is how deeply into the church this manner of thinking when you, have, when you have people rushing to apologize for sins they've never committed, you've lost the idea of biblical guilt and repentance. And instead, it's an endless cycle of anti-racism and intergenerational sin. Versus those who are saying, I think we should continue to think biblically about these matters. Balkum's Fault Lines, another excellent book. It's an older book, but a, a book that is a rock solid look at what the Word of God actually teaches about race and ethnicity is Ken Ham's One Race, One Blood. It's a classic. Another term, a term that Balkum coined, is ethnic Gnosticism. G N O S. T-I-C, Gnostic, I-S-M, Gnosticism. Gnosticism was, a, was a, a late first, early second century heresy in Christian history. Gnosticism held that while there is a level of knowledge that can be had from the word of God, there's a deeper secret knowledge that only the insiders have access to. You know, I'm not talking about you're a plumber and then once you're a good plumber, you really know what you're doing. That's not Gnosticism. Gnosticism is you don't have access to the deeper secret truths until you're an insider. Freemasonry is Gnostic because it claims to have access to higher, deeper truth that you don't get until progressively as you are initiated more deeply and deeply into it. That's all baloney. Um, it's a, it's a bizarro Gnostic boys club. Sorry if you're one of them. Why? 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 At any rate, I digress. Ethnic Gnosticism is when you're told as a hegemonic person, or perceived hegemonic person, you can't possibly understand these issues because you aren't the same skin tone I am. There's a deeper secret awareness that you don't have access to. Well, you know what? You don't know what it is to be Russell because you hadn't lived my life. And I don't know what it is to be you because I haven't lived your life. But to say that there is a source of truth that is important for me to live an effective life honoring Jesus, and that source of truth is your biography, not the Word of God, now we have a problem. I do not need your biography to live in a way that honors Jesus. I'll sit with you and hear your biography. I'll warn you, I may want to share mine. <laughs> you might spend more time listening than you do talking. I'm a talker. But this, this, because again, see, we, we don't deal with empirical data. We don't deal with linear thinking. 
What we do is stories and discussions, and that's where we discover ultimate truth. Because of ethnic Gnosticism, you have to get me to guide you into that truth. You can't simply study and learn it because you're not the right tone. That is ethnic Gnosticism. Um, and of course, if you, if you don't want to sit down and hear my story, it's because of your white fragility. See, feedback loops all over the place. All right, I'm going to finish with a sampling of, of anti-biblical ideas, just a, a set of bullet points, most of which build on things I've already said this evening, and I'm going to try to get to some of y'all's questions. These are a, a sample of anti-biblical ideas. Remembering we started with a definition of whiteness that, that attacks much of biblical Christianity as whiteness, which is hilarious since our faith has its roots in the dark-skinned Middle East. To say that biblical Christianity is whiteness is kind of bizarre if you've ever traveled to the Middle East from which our faith arises from an anthropological standpoint. Under CRT, true knowledge does not come from God's word. True knowledge comes from the, the victims of the hegemony sharing their, uh, the victims of the hegemony sharing their stories. There's your source of ultimate truth, not the word of God. Second, guilt, actual guilt is assigned not on the basis of individual conduct in thought, word, or deed, but on the basis of ethnicity, on the basis of hegemony. And it is assigned intergenerationally. In other words, your great-great-grandparents did this and you bear their guilt. As anti-biblical ideas go, that one is low-hanging fruit, meaning there is a specific entire chapter in your Bible that puts a bullet in the head of the notion of intergenerational guilt. Can we inherit sin characteristics? Yeah, you can. If you had abusive parents, you are going to deal with more temptation to be abusive than someone who didn't have abusive parents. But you are not guilty for the conduct of generations before you. If you doubt me, go home to your Bible and argue it out with Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18 is a nuclear warhead to the idea of intergenerational guilt. And if you read Ezekiel 18, but still embrace the notion that this person's grandparents did something to this person's grandparents, therefore there is a debt today, go ahead and admit that you reject the word of God. May as well be honest with yourself. Admit that you are not submitting to what the Bible teaches on that topic. At least be honest. Ezekiel chapter 18. The idea that my truth matters more than truth. Anti-biblical idea. The idea that actual racist behavior, that is actual unequal treatment of people made in the image of God, which is forbidden by God, and 
actual injustice where things are coercively taken from somebody and given to somebody else are seen as the only remedy for the made-up categories of racism and injustice held by CRT. In other words, we imagine into existence things like this systemic racism and these oddball definitions of injustice, and the only way we fix them is by being actually racist and unjust. It's backward. Biblical teaching on ethnicity, family, sin, guilt, redemption, authority, justice, and a number of other topics is forcefully dismissed. Forcefully dismissed. And most tragically of all to me, perhaps, or at least as tragically as anything else, people outside the perceived hegemony are to understand, if you are not what CRT would label as the hegemonist group, you are to understand that you are most fundamentally a victim and you lack the capacity, you lack the capacity to achieve anything of value unless it is given to you as a gift or taken by you by revolutionary force, which gift or force would of course run counter to scripture. You can't just achieve something. Poor baby. It is patronizing. It is insulting. And it's utterly unbiblical. Before I get to questions, I close with this. The living God hates racism. And if you harbor in your heart some sense of ethnic superiority based on your ethnic characteristics, I don't care what ethnicity you are. If you harbor in your heart animosity, feelings of superiority, feelings of inferiority, lose that in Jesus' name. Let's be the brothers and sisters that the kingdom of God both enables us to be and insists that we be. All right. Brother Kerry, you're kind. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hi. In a lot of, hi. In a lot of forums, you'd think that maybe the Q&A would be the difficult part but I think that you've done the difficult I hope work. I have. <laughs> uh, first question, and, and uh, just a reminder, there's no way that we're gonna get through all these questions. Uh, we do have children's ministry going on. We're trying to do a hard stop in about 15 minutes so that parents can get to their kids. Um, <laughs> so you so, and I can get to our suitcases? Uh, that too, uh, and yeah, other things. Other um, things. Tried to ca categorize, several of these fell into overarching categories that okay. were pretty easy to assimilate together. Um, but anyway, so we're not going to get to all your questions, but here are, here's the first one. Okay. Why do you think that this is being imposed upon our culture? Imposed upon our culture. Okay. That's what I, okay. I, yeah, I thought you said opposed upon our culture. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's being, I think, I think you're right to say that it is being, there's, there's sort of a, a broad answer and a narrow answer. The broad answer is we live in a fallen world. 
We live in a world that is at war with God. And every ungodly and unbiblical idea that can gain traction in a world at war with God is going to gain traction in a world at war with God. Right? They shoved evolutionism down our throat. They, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Specifically in this moment, I believe there is a, there is a vulnerability we have had, without question, we have had some high-profile incidents in recent years. Some incidents where, let's tell the truth, where law enforcement got it horribly wrong, often across ethnic lines, and those incidents, not because of, of a statistic, be clear with this, not because of a statistical pattern, but because of the horrific and dramatic character of the incident, added a traction point, added a flash point, which allowed some of these bad ideas to, to gain additional footholds, in, in my view. And let me, one more thing. I could say in my view at the end of every sentence, I'm glad that at McGregor, y'all know that there's a world of difference between thus saith the Lord and this is what Russell thinks, right? Okay, a lot of me answering these questions, what Russell thinks, not thus saith the Lord. I'll let you know if I'm quoting scripture. All right. I was just noticing that they gave you a stool and I have to stand. See? <laughs> and you're much older than I am. You should. I was waiting for that. You I set, set that up. up. You set that up yourself. That happens way too often in my life. You look 20 years younger if that's up. <laughs> so why do you think that so many Christian churches are silent on this issue? Thus saith Russell, okay? Because I don't know, the, there's one church on earth that I know the leaders of. I am blessed to be one of 15 elders at McGregor Baptist Church, and I know and love the elders of McGregor Baptist Church. I don't know any other church's leaders. So I cannot, I cannot know the answer to this. I offer this. The preparation for tonight and the... Uh, awareness of how easily I might give offense to people that I love very much by dealing with this. I hope I haven't, mm -hmm. but I know the risk of that. Yeah. Care there's any number of things that it's easier not to talk about. Yeah. And this is one of those, it's way easier. I could, yeah. I could have done tonight any number of different fun things that would not risk yeah. putting my white fragility on display. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. So while it's a hot topic, it's not always an easy topic. No, it's not. And it gets, it gets tied up with, no one, wants, no one wants to be accused of racism. Right. What a horrible thing to accuse somebody of. Yeah. And, and out there, they have largely been successful in equating opposition to critical race theory with racism. Yeah. So if one opposes CRT, one is racist. Right. Now the irony of that is, the civil rights leaders of the 50s, 60s, and 70s would oppose CRT if, if, if that movement was in its zenith still today. Right. So I well, That makes, makes perfect sense to why one would want to avoid the subject yeah. to avoid appearing racist if yeah. they were, makes sense. 
Uh, is, do you know if the CRT is being taught in our elementary school students, to our elementary school students here in Lee County? I do not. And, and I want to be careful with this because this, this is not a school board meeting. We're not voting on anything tonight. Um, and I thank you, even if you disagree with me vehemently, and the law of averages says in the room there are probably those who do, thank you that tonight we've been able to do this in what I pray has been a fairly kindly toned and lighthearted way. And if I have made you so angry that you are struggling for your head not to explode, write to me and let's work it out as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are my brother or sister in Christ. I don't know what they're teaching in the elementary schools, but here's what I do know. Worldviews have consequences. I praise God for the many members of McGregor that teach and administrate in the public school system. I pray that you are a light in a place that may not cultivate your presence as a light. And that's not a slam. I think it's a defensible statement. I do think that parents need to be intentional, not merely momentum driven. You know, someone asked me earlier this week, well, what would you do about it if you did know that it was being taught in the public schools? I would pray hard and ask the Lord to perhaps in some miraculous way give our church the capacity to have a K through 12 where it's not taught. Oh, wait, we did that 27 years ago. Um, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna pot shot the public schools. Praise God for those of you who are serving. The only thing I will encourage is parents, Make sure you're being intentional, not driven by momentum in terms of the educational choices you're making for your kiddos. Yeah, and that goes to, uh, there are a lot of issues in the public schools oh my goodness. that we would take issue with. You know, we're, we're, we've been okay with evolutionism <laughs> for decades. That is a horribly damaging worldview. Yeah. If we're gonna, why are we picketing the school board to talk about evolution versus creation? among the catalog of mm -hmm. fantastically unbiblical ideas that are being promoted as though they were factu uh, factual. I got a great idea. Let's start a school. Oh, wait. <laughs> Good idea, Russell. Yeah. Uh, what is the end goal of CRT? Equity. Equity. But, but because equity is a utopian goal that cannot be reached, while it is the nominal goal, it is the North Star goal, we steer by it, but we can never get to it. And we know we can't. So what the real goal is, the continual striving toward equity in all manner of compensatory behaviors. You've got to give me this. You've got to give me this. You've got to open up this privilege. You've got to strip away this privilege in the search for unachievable equity. So the goal is that there be a continual cycle of groveling redistribution of perceived privilege. Right. It's, it's why it makes perfect sense within CRT when a, and I'm not seeking to be political here, when a police officer <coughs> tragically and wrongfully has a black prisoner pass away, and I'm using the most neutral language that I can, when that happens in St. Louis, CRT, it makes perfect sense that I, who live in South LA, would steal a television to make up for it, smash a window and steal a TV. Because under CRT, I am owed compensation. I'm just going to get it. 
it, it's nonsensical to think that there's a relationship between the wrongful death of a young black man in this city and smashing windows and wrecking businesses in this city. But under CRT, it's completely expected. It's even to a degree, gulp by some, encouraged. The goal is an endless cycle of compensatory behaviors. All right, Good last word. question. We'll, okay, we'll wrap yeah. it up here. Okay. So what do we do about this other than pray <clears throat> and hope for Jesus' soon return? Woo. We pray and we hope for Jesus' soon return. We also... <laughs> boy, this is going to sound so trite. Discipline yourself to think biblically. Take every thought captive as the word of God encourages you to. Don't, don't disagree with something just because it doesn't sit well with you. There might be any number of things where you need to be challenged in terms of how things sit with you or don't sit with you. Being a follower of Jesus Christ obligates you to be a diligent student of God's word. Be a student of God's word and a submissive student to God's word. When was the last time, dear brother, dear sister, when is the last time something you learned in the Bible forced you, not somebody else, you, you had to change a course of action. You had to change an attitude. You had to change an approach because of something you saw in the authoritative word of God that directed you to make a change. If it's been a while, one of two things is true. Either you've already got the whole thing mastered <laughs> or you're not being a diligent student of God's word. Talk about these things with those whom you love. Be an active disciple maker. If you're a parent or grandparent, be an active disciple maker in your family relationships. Follow Jesus with everything you've got. And when you find yourself in a disagreement, remember that the fruit of the Spirit, funny, the fruit of the Spirit don't matter unless we're in a conflict. When, when Gail and I have a fun day at the Magic Kingdom together and the weather is perfect and we're just going to go ride It's a Small World and wave <laughs> at Mickey Mouse and we're together and I can afford lunch, you know, <laughs> something I have to save up for. <clears throat> the presence of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control hardly matters. It's almost automatic. But when, when I am in a disagreement with somebody on a passionately held matter and, and I feel like it is my duty to express my disagreement and own my disagreement, in that setting, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Faithfulness and self-discipline are supposed to set me radically apart from someone who may agree with my point, 
but cannot express themselves in a way that is reflective of the fruit of the Spirit. We express ourselves in conflict in a way that is reflective of the fruit of the Spirit or else we're missing an opportunity to honor Jesus in that disagreement, right? Okay, cool. You're going to pray for us. I Al, am. But I'd like to say, I, I pray that tonight has been a huge blessing to you. <clears throat> I pray two, two things I thought about as Russell was speaking. Number one, I pray that you've been encouraged to love one another. Amen. One another deeper and better than ever. And also driven more to the authority of God's word, listening to his truth, not man's truth. Russell, pray for us. Before I pray, I'll add this, and I've already said this briefly. I'll say it again one more time. If tonight I have personally given you deep offense, I would certainly be prepared to ask that you forgive my inevitably offensive big loud self, but that I would hope that that forgiveness would carry with it the opportunity for authentic reconciliation. If in time to come, we need to sit down and talk about areas where we disagree. Matthew 18, step one. If I've offended you, you got to give me that opportunity. Uh, brothers and sisters. Right? Let's pray. Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you for, um, for a place where, where, where truth... Um, is something from which we do not shrink. Lord, for me, from, from inside my experience, <laughs> thank you for the freedom that goes with being a part of the teaching and elder team here to shepherd these, your people. And I also thank you for the accountability that goes with that. I thank you that I am confident as I scan this room tonight and look at the faces of even brothers on the elder body, that if I stray Beyond just, okay, that's Russell. But if I, mean, if I stray from teaching truth and embracing your word and concepts that honor you, thank you that there are men that I see in the room tonight that I can count on to pull me up short and make me make it right. There is such strength for the body in that. And then I thank you for a body of Christ, long conditioned. I mean, down the decades. I thank you that even tonight we have Pastor Holbrook in the room who, who was teaching truth in this church before a lot of us had ever even heard of McGregor. Lord, thank you that this is a church that is a forum wherein we do love one another. May we do so all the more. Tonight, we, just the people in this room, are going to put a lot of people on the road tonight. Keep us safe till we're home. Bless us till we gather again, the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And good night. Thank you for listening to this special McGregor podcast, A Culture Derailed, Part 2. And to make sure that you don't miss any of our special McGregor podcast or any of our regular McGregor podcast, make sure you go on and subscribe to McGregor podcast. That way you'll have a chance to see and hear every podcast as it comes out. God bless you.